0: sometimes yeah especially when you're traveling and you kind of lose track of of things you know in that home environment yeah sometimes your guts don't feel quite right and you're like oh actually I probably haven't eaten a piece of fruit for a couple of days but yeah definitely um as I've gotten older being a little more clued in probably about like um yeah and probably just pay better attention and probably realize pretty soon.
1: And welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin.
2: And I'm Steph Gaskell.
1: We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask, the sort of things that people are debating out on their training run or ride in a coffee shop afterwards or looking up online. And we'll take that question, break it down, and invite a guest expert in our A episode and a guest athlete or coach in our B episode to add their unique perspective to that. Today, it's episode 38B, How Can Fruit and Veggies Make Me Faster? And our guest is two-time Olympian in the 1500 metres, Lyndon Hall. So we're going to talk to Lyndon about her upcoming summer which is that now kicked off for her. She's been uh, competing in Morocco at the Rabat Diamond League meet last week in Morocco, where she ran 403.29 in the 1500 for her first race of the European season. We discuss what a typical training regime looks like for elite middle distance runners and what her plans are for this year. We talk about how she got into dietetics, because Lyndon is also a dietitian as well as an athlete, and I guess how that experience comes to help her as an athlete. And being a dietitian, obviously fruit and veggies are gonna be big on her radar. So we discussed the role of fruit and veggies in her diet, getting enough when she's traveling uh, and eating out of buffets and things like that and not in that home environment. And also her experience with the different types of fruit and vegetable-based supplements. Are these things that are commonly used amongst elite athletes or are they kind of flash in the pan or, or marketing? So how are we this week, Steph? You uh, were in the lab last week. You did the first of the five-hour runs that we've been talking about for almost a year now. So now you can debrief and tell everyone how was it.
2: (laughs) I should be perking it up, Al, right now. Um, That's the one. (laughs) It was a week ago. Yeah, yes, I am recovering. Um, If I did, I remember not that long ago you asked me when I wanted to do the second trial and um, I was given, you know, an option of, like a week away, or or a couple, and I'm so glad that we ended up going with the couple weeks away, because um, I definitely wouldn't have been ready this week, not mentally anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um it is a task. I can see why it's quite hard to recruit. It's it's that pounding on on the treadmill, that repetitive, um, and I think me and the other participant both found that just, you know, it's just that that pounding. Um, on the body that that sort of um makes it a, a little bit harder to get through but anyway with your seeing your beautiful face and your lovely conversation now you got us through <laughs> um, and my lovely um,
1: conversation you had it, headphones in most of the time
2: oh, <laughs> that was funny actually yeah i did sometimes i didn't want to listen to anything
1: <laughs> yeah
2: um But, no, I do know how important this data is and how much it will contribute to um, the sports nutrition field. Um, So that does help me. And I know you said just think of the data, Steph, come on, when I must have (laughs) looked like I wasn't having as much fun.
1: Yep, doing it for science. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's it. That's it. And you'll be proud, Al. I think I've um, slowly turned into a, a Melbourne football supporter. I went to the game on the weekend.
1: Mm, yeah. yes, I saw that. Yeah. Not a good game, though. Well, for Not Melbourne, a good anyway. game.
2: No, but I reckon they've gotten their three losses out of the way and we're good to go again.
1: Yep, bye no. this week and then they're yep. back on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And what about you? What did you get up to?
1: Uh, last week I reckon was one of the busiest working weeks of my life, to be honest. Um, had a whole massive amount of stuff, online courses to get finished off, um, my uni Students had their exam a couple of days ago, so it was sort of the final preparations for that. Obviously yep. getting ready for the study. There's a huge amount, as you know, that goes into mm. that, preparing all the food,
2: mm. preparing,
1: in my case, the capsules with the, the salt or the placebo in them, mm. preparing all the bits and pieces that go into setting up the lab and then running the study, analysing all the samples, blood, sweat, urine, literally all three. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. and then um, and then we had a long weekend the kids had a curriculum day so they've had been home for four days and then one of them six so he's home for oh. a fifth day oh. um, so yeah. yes it's been trying to get all this stuff done with kids running around as well oh, has been it. a bit of a bit of a struggle but that's yeah. all right the um, the end is in sight but I'm back in the lab yeah. tomorrow for another five hours with another participant so
2: oh yes yeah hopefully that was, yeah. he's going
1: to be our last one
2: yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed mm. that's good mm. that's good um, yeah Yeah, nice one. Apart from that hour, how are we going on the social media?
1: Quite a bit of action on social media in the last week. We were talking last week that we hadn't heard much from people for a little while, but here we go. So um, obviously we posted about today's episode with Lyndon Hall and Jess Mm. Rothwell, who was a past guest only a few weeks ago, actually, on the podcast uh, and who knows Lyndon quite well both from the uh, athletics background, both dietitians. Mm. So Jess, she was really looking forward to this one. Uh, we also got uh, a mention, Steph, from the Stimulate Run podcast.
2: Yeah, I um, you know, with Instagram, um, sometimes you miss it, but I saw that they mentioned us in their story. So thank you very much for that. I'm not sure like what episode it was or in regards to, and but I think it's a thank you because <laughs> hopefully it was a positive shout out.
1: <laughs> yes, no, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, mm. Also, we had Michael Hayes, and he was asking us if we had ever oh. done an episode on creatine use for runners. Obviously, creatine, is something you tend to associate with really short, high-intensity events, sprinters, and things like that. Um, but there is actually some research that's been done in the context of more endurance and ultra-endurance athletes. And mm. um, you know, Greg Shaw mentioned I think a few weeks ago on episode 34a around supplements that there's probably other roles to be had by Mm. creatine it's not as one-dimensional maybe as we think so Mm. that's something that we might have a look at for a future podcast and Mm. rustle up someone who's doing some of that research in creatine but specifically its role potentially with endurance athletes yeah
2: yep Mm. yeah it's a good one um And then, yeah, we also had um, Simone Brick, who's a um, very good uh, elite level ultra-endurance runner. So she said, hi, Steph and Al, Um, absolutely adore the pod with the mix of athletes and experts you get. And she's keen to, for us, if we cover an episode um, in the area of PCOS, um, polycystic ovary syndrome in um, female athletes and just interested in kind of perhaps the dietary implications and and what may be needed in that regard. So I've um, been having a think about that one too, Al, in terms of who we may get for that. Um, So yeah, we we will look to do that in, in a future podcast. And, um, yeah, she hopes we're both well and the research is ticking along nicely. So Mm. thank you for that.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Sim. Yeah, and on Facebook we had Reese who contacted us just the other day, actually, and he said, hi, guys, just catching up on the series. Listen to episode 9A and 9B today, and they were the ones around do I really need to carb load? And he said a lot of those two episodes were spent fairly emphatically noting that a large bowl of pasta for dinner is nowhere near enough to quote-unquote carb load properly and he said totally understand that but it would be good to understand the effect of that large bowl of pasta does have if any is it still beneficial to to look at having that even if you're not doing sort of a full carb load obviously isn't enough to super compensate the muscle glycogen to its fullest extent but does it have other benefits um and i guess you know we were having a, a chat about that um We've had a couple of episodes which probably get to this a little bit in that, yes, obviously having more carbohydrates still going to be beneficial for that big training session. So uh, if you go back, Reese, we had episode 2A, what should I eat before my long training session with Dr. Sam Impey. And we spent a bit of time talking about, you know, that deliberate kind of underfueling, but also deliberately wanting to fuel up into those sort of hard sessions, particularly where there's intensity involved and the quality of those sessions is important. So if you're doing say your long training session on a weekend, for example, um, that's maybe where that big bowl of pasta will come into play. You're gonna have a bigger serving of carbohydrate um, with dinner, particularly if you train in the morning as a lot of people do. And we also talked about that in episodes 29a and 29b which was around how do i balance eating for training quality and body fat loss and talking about using that what we call periodization of carbohydrate how to you know move the carbohydrate up and down from day to day or meal to meal depending on what the training is that's coming up next so yes there's definitely still a role for that big bowl of pasta it's just nowhere near adequate to you know fully load up your muscles with carbohydrate or glycogen prior to a, a race where that's required yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we had some other feedback as usual, Steph.
2: Yeah. People have been out and about, and um, we wanted to say a special congrats to Dr. Alice McNamara, who's a fellow guest on the show and um, a participant in some of our research. Um, so she just uh, over the long weekend recently got engaged to the lovely Bill Tate. I believe he um, proposed to her in the snow um mm. which is um a pretty place to do it um so yeah so that's uh congrats to to both of them and um we also our Al had three new five star ratings on apple podcast
1: yep absolutely um,
2: fantastic
1: yeah it's always good to see those come through obviously thank you to whoever did those because the the star ratings are anonymous we don't know who leaves them mm. uh, the review's Obviously, people write and their name appears, so we thank those people. But mm. for those who left those five-star readings, a big thank you as well.
2: Yeah, yep. And uh, I was just I'm doing some work with UniSA, um, and uh, they told me that they've been using some of our um, podcast episodes in um, some of the nutrition sessions. So, yeah, so that's a, a, a nice positive for us too, Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely, of course. All right, well... Just a reminder, if you have a particular question that you'd like answered on the podcast, or even if you just have some feedback that you want to send through, um, you can catch us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or if you'd like to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate that as well. Uh, We just noted actually today, Steph, that um, that episode 29A we were talking about just before around balancing eating for training quality and fat loss is actually Mm. missing on Apple Podcasts. It's completely Mm. disappeared. Um, it's on Podbean, you'll find it there. It's on Google Podcasts, but for some reason it's no longer on Apple Podcasts. All the other episodes are there and that one's missing, so no idea what's going on there. If you want to listen to that one, you won't you won't be able to do it through Apple, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, feel free to get in contact. We're always happy to hear from people.
2: Today's episode is episode 38B.
1: Yeah, How Can Fruit and Veggies Make Me Faster?, with our special guest, elite middle distance runner, Lyndon Hall, who's also a dietitian. So as I said before, Lyndon is a two-time Olympian from the Rio and Tokyo Games in the 1500 metres, and she's also a dietitian herself. So she did her undergraduate nutrition degree in America when she was running for Florida State Uni, and then came back to Melbourne uh, to do her master's in dietetics at Monash Uni. So I first met Lyndon actually on her first day of uni because I was teaching her Mm -hmm. uh, and it was my first year sort of i had done a little bit of casual teaching but my first year teaching as well. She's very much focused on being an athlete at the moment. She's not dietitianing per se. She does a few little side projects and we'll talk about that in this interview uh, but mainly focused on her athletic career. So we'll talk a little bit about that and talk about the role I guess that fruit and veggies has in that. Is that easy or difficult to get in with all the other nutrient requirements that she's potentially juggling, how that might be different, say, in a middle distance runner with their training volume compared to an ultra endurance or endurance athlete, uh, and then also get into some of those fruit and vegetable-based supplements that we talked about on the podcast last week with Andrea Brakas around things like tart cherry juice around um, beetroot juice and uh, New Zealand black currant and the greens powders and these sort of things. So are these commonly used? Has she tried them? What's her experience been? Does she see other athletes use them? That kind of thing. So that'll be all really interesting.
2: Cool. Let's get into it.
1: Yeah, let's do it. (music) Lyndon Hall, welcome to the Long March. How are things going in Melbourne? Nice and cool?
0: Yeah, definitely very chilly, looking forward to escaping to a European summer pretty soon.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, how long until you, you get on the plane?
0: Oh, about two weeks, so counting down yep. days, starting to get organised. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. What time of the day do you usually train? Are you managing to avoid the, the coldest weather?
0: Uh, a little bit of both, some mornings, some afternoons, depends, uh, depends when we get on the track, honestly, <laughs> is uh, yeah. the biggest problem usually, so um, yeah, yeah, having to be pretty adaptable.
1: Yeah. Yep, fair enough. All right. Um, well, you're a two-time Olympian now in the 1500 metres, but what's on the agenda for you for 2022? Obviously heading over to Europe, uh, and I know we spoke to Sinead Diver, one of the marathon runners, uh, at the end of last year, and she talked about the fact that Commonwealth Games and World Champs are really close together this year. And so, for at least for the marathon guys, they kind of have to choose which event they're going to do because they can't do, you know, two marathons in such a short space of time. But for your event, the 1500, is it possible to do both events or are they just too close together?
0: No, I think uh, I think the poor marathoners are the only ones who had to make that tough decision.
1: <laughs> right. Um,
0: so yeah, pretty lucky to be in a shorter event. I mean, it's going to be pretty pretty busy, but um, yep. we drew a pretty good timetable. So women's fifteen hundred is at the start of World Champs and the back end of Com Games. So maximise that uh, recovery with a whole seventeen days between um, races and a little bit of uh, cross continent travel. But um, yeah, yeah, probably in a better better position than a lot of other events, which is which is a bit of a plus. Um, But yeah, definitely gonna be a big year. So um, yeah, gearing up and trying to get as much training done now before we get into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, And we're also discussing off air as well, as well as being a 1500 runner, you're also a dietitian yourself. Um, I'm interested how you sort of got into nutrition and dietetics in the first place.
0: Um, Well, I probably found it because I went and saw a dietitian when I was a junior athlete because I was really good at throwing up everything I ate every time i ran a race so um yeah i wanted to i guess try and find out the best things i should be doing on race day and thought it was pretty interesting um and yeah kind of decided i don't know it was probably like year nine year ten i was like oh yeah that's pretty cool and so um yeah did all the sort of right subjects at school and ended up kind of going in a bit of a roundabout way because i ended up doing my undergrad in america um and then coming back and do my masters in um, melbourne at monash so slightly yep. obscure route to get there but um but yeah it was sort of always the plan from from late high school
1: and in terms of the, the dietetic side of things obviously you know as you said you did your masters at Monash finished a few years ago now are you you doing able to sort of manage doing a bit of dietetics work as well as you're running or you're just sort of purely focused on running and you know pick that up again sort of later on
0: yeah pretty much just being the the athlete at the moment which is pretty fun um, yeah yeah kind of hard to sort of do too much and lucky enough to be in a position that I can um but yeah a few little few little side projects I'd like to call them um you know staying a little bit involved here and there um yeah a few different activities we do a lot with like schools through the Victorian Institute of Sport um so often if a school picks nutrition as a topic they want to learn more about um they give me that school group um and things like that so i feel like that's kind of just you know keeping me busy school kids can ask some yeah. uh, some interesting questions definitely keep you on your toes yeah. um but uh mm-hmm. yeah not doing anything too formal that's a a poster uh, running problem i think so uh yeah. it's probably creeping up on me i'm 31 this year so um yeah
1: and have you sort of start to think about how or in what capacity you'd, you'd want to work in sports nutrition or nutrition in, in well, general?
0: It probably depends what day of the week you ask me, to be honest. And um, what <laughs> I've most recently been, I don't know, doing, who I've been speaking to. Um, but, yeah, definitely much more interested in sort of sports side of things um, for sort of obvious reasons. Um, but, yeah, I almost feel like yeah. maybe when I'm done running, I need like a breather from that space and then maybe come back to it sort of as, I don't know bit of gap between being the athlete and not being the athlete maybe otherwise it might be a bit too um, yep. a weird transition i think
1: <laughs> yeah yeah go work with powerlifters or something for a while. yeah just something
0: completely different <laughs>
1: yeah um and i guess for those who are less familiar with sort of middle distance running could you give us a little bit of an idea about what a typical training week might look like uh, in terms of hours and how much of that is sort of high intensity work versus sort of pretty low intensity recovery type efforts
0: yeah, so we, um, I mean, it changes obviously throughout the year, but right now we're mm. sort of uh, getting close to starting a competition window. So we're sort of a little bit of everything at this moment, still trying to, um, I guess, yeah, keep in touch with all parts of training, but starting to get a bit more race specific, which is much more fun. Um, so at the moment we're on the on the track twice a week um, on a Tuesday, Thursday, and then on a Saturday we're uh, usually, you know, at the 10 or something in Melbourne, um, some longer longer reps which is you know not as much fun as the track stuff for me um and then on a monday and friday we'll do a jog somewhere between 30 and 50 minutes probably um and that'll probably be paired with sort of some strides or like a pickup run in the last five minutes or or something like that um just to i don't know we don't don't often do just some strain but sort of straight plane running which is kind of nice it's nice to spice it up a bit it keeps me entertained um yeah. and then monday when monday friday will also be in the gym and then Wednesdays are probably the cruisiest day of the week which is normally just a run uh and oh i forgot yeah. my least favorite day of the week sunday um which is long run day um which i dislike because it is long and
1: <laughs> how long is long
0: um oh varies sometimes you know we're sort yeah. more in a race block it's, it's only an hour but um sunday just being i had an hour 40 which is as long as as long as i go and i'm glad that one's done for the year um <laughs> but yeah usually probably yep. 80 to 90 minutes of running yep. so, yes, yeah so yeah smidge over 20k
1: yeah okay and so it doesn't doesn't strike me like you're gonna plan for a uh, half marathon or marathon career when you're done on the track
0: no, even the five k, I'm like, oh, a bit far. Um, yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
2: Um, yeah, really like the the shorter stuff, Al. Um, so I don't reckon we can pull Lyndon in for um, your five hour run um, study.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I've just uh, done oh. the opposite for you, Steph. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I've sucked myself in to run this five hours, Lyndon, and I'm swearing at myself.
1: Oh,
0: no, I often say the things you're recruiting for those studies. I'm like, how do you find these people?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we um, no. we managed to somehow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's impressive. <laughs> um,
2: so our, our topic today is on um, fruit and veggies, um, specifically in terms of, of supplements. And we thought, well, who else better to get than... Um, you know, a fantastic athlete but also dietitian. Um, so from, from your own experience uh, living with other athletes and having your sort of your critical dietetic eye, do you feel that athletes in general eat more, less, or about the same amount of fruit and veggies compared to the general pop?
0: Ooh, well, probably proportionally it's pretty, you know, there's probably more food in general, I guess, but, um, So, yeah, probably a smidge more, but probably just by because they're trying to squish more food in, Um, especially, you know, hanging out with a distance running type group, you know, especially you go on altitude camps and things like that. And everyone's trying to, you know, pop up that intake a little bit more to, to, you know, (laughs) stay alive, basically, at altitude. Um, But, yeah, I do think there's um yeah maybe a smidge more um I don't know I hang out with a lot of the girls a lot of the girls in the distant circle are pretty um you know don't mind being in the kitchen and and things like that and get pretty creative Mm -hmm. so probably a slightly obscured uh angle on that um Mm -hmm. but yeah I think yeah probably more just out of of trying to get more food in I think more than anything probably than Mm -hmm. necessarily the intention of being like Ooh, need all of the veggies I mean I'm sure there's plenty of athletes that are that savvy but sometimes it's like oh this is what's on offer and this is what I'm eating <laughs> yeah, so, especially yeah. in sort of a dining yeah. hall buffet yeah. situation sometimes it's um slim pickings
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say we did a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago around travel with athletes and obviously that's that's one of the things is often you're kind of a, um, a slave to the food that's available at the time if you're not you know at home uh, and obviously spending a, a fair bit of time away from home, that becomes a bit more of a challenge.
0: Yeah, definitely. We um, had both indoor championships in Serbia earlier this year and the buffet offerings were not really to our liking, <laughs> I guess. The uh, pickings were a little slim. So it was, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of meals where we were like, well, if I'm eating this for the sake of eating something, this is not what I would normally pick. <laughs> Um, so yeah, sometimes it's a little bit of that. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, and when you head over to Europe, like obviously you're going in a couple of weeks. Do you sort of manage to base yourself anywhere long enough where you can sort of have accommodation where you have your own kitchen and you can do your own cooking and things?
0: Yeah, that's always a priority for me. I don't like to have more than a couple of days in a hotel. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's, I mean, it's much nicer just to feel like you're a bit at home as well and be able to control all of those things. But you know, I also like cooking and stuff too, so it's sort of a, a good activity. Um, but yeah, like it just means you can control more things. Staying in a hotel for too long is, you know, a bit of a nightmare, really. It's like, oh, I've got a, I've got a kettle. What can I do with that? Um, I've definitely got yep. creative. <laughs> Made a lot of uh, couscous in my time with, a, with hot water in a hotel room, I feel like. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely always, always looking to have a kitchen. And yeah, we usually try to set up a base and then kind of travel from there to races. So this year we're gonna be uh, in Madrid which will be fun, um, and um, yeah, hopefully we've got a well-equipped kitchen. Sometimes it's a bit hit and miss with an Airbnb. Um, stayed in one place once where we had only butter knives, and um, yeah, wasn't very effective at cutting a lot of things. No. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of barriers. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering as well, like um, in terms of fruit and veggie intake, like you said, you know, hanging out with more so the distance runners because they're trying to get perhaps a higher energy intake um, then fruit and veg kind of can naturally go up then if you're thinking about maybe middle or shorter distance athletes say then if the energy intake is a bit less perhaps the fruit and veggie intake still can be quite high because then I guess you're some people might be consciously trying to get in less energy and then the foods that they're choosing are the fruit and veg.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think often, you know, you see someone coming to sit down you're like, oof, that's a decent meal, like as in like, oh, good on you, almost. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you're like, yeah. oh, no, that's 90% lettuce leaves um, and like a piece of yeah. chicken. Um, but, yeah, um, you know, everyone, I, I'd like to think everyone's got their own plan and it's all, all been thought out, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think probably do sort of sometimes gravitate towards some of those foods. Um, often they look a little more appealing at a buffet as well. Um, you know, often the salad section is a bit more like build your own um, rather than kind of a all built in. So you know, us controlling athletes that have a bit more input probably on what that is, so it does probably make for a slightly more appealing option. I think yeah, probably the hmm. yeah probably the food group that gets left behind at the buffet probably more so is um, yeah, just whatever pasta or rice option or something. Like I feel like there's a lot of a lot of athletes who might leave that behind and they'll come back with salad and a piece of chicken or something like that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And do you find that, because um, do you do periods in your training um, or, you know, racing um, where then you may be um, focused more on, you know, higher carb eating, carb loading or whatever? um is that is that relevant to you and then would you find that then fruit and veggies may you know dial down because you're more focused at getting carb-rich foods and lower fiber type foods
0: um probably not massively I think um yeah 1500 I'm not really running that far and yeah I think my overall volume of training doesn't change drastically throughout the year um mm. it's almost probably in that kind of more pre seasony kind of phase where probably I'm running a little bit more volume where I'm sort of a bit more like oh bump up the carbs but everything else probably stays a little bit more the same um and I'm probably more inclined to be like oh well just make sure the veggies I'm picking are you know sweet potato and potato and and sort of those sort of starchy veggies um probably more than otherwise yeah I get pretty sick of you know just adding like a bunch more rice or something to dinner it's not quite as exciting um so yeah I sort of find that Yeah, I probably don't have huge fluctuations in my my load to really play with that too much. Um, Yep.
2: And then do you see the distance girls that you, you know, um, are surrounded by that that may change a bit more for them?
0: Probably not spending time with them around meals outside of competition, to be honest. So you're sort of in and around when everyone's like, you know, smashing their load in the dining hall beforehand. And, um, Yeah. yeah, I do remember there was a a lot of rice being consumed when we were at our pre-camp last year I remember a couple of the marathon guys you know sort of doing a few sort of test runs of of things around some key sessions in that last sort of month and yeah there was some very defeated looking people with very big bowls of rice being like oh no I don't think don't think this is for me um you know trying to figure out what was going to work best for them um so I guess they were sort of
1: they need to go back and listen to episode nine Steph of the podcast, we went through exactly that. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: yeah. So I guess yeah, probably seeing all that competition part of their life rather than sort of what they're doing around their training.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, and um, so it sounds like for yourself personally, you you um, you know you enjoy cooking, and it sounds like you really do enjoy eating fruit and vegetables. Is that right? And you've always kind of enjoyed fruit and veg from a young
0: age? Yeah, probably. I mean, it was probably some element of force feeding from mum at a young age, let's be honest. Um, but, yeah, probably probably bigger on the veggies than the fruit, especially in winter. Um, yeah, definitely always over-catering on, on vegetables. And a sucker for a good oven full of roast veggies. Um, but, yeah, I feel like. You know, in summer, I feel like you just go gravitate to fruit more often. I feel like sometimes in winter, I'm like, oh, I haven't really eaten any fruit today. I should probably um, probably do that, um, and then probably you know things like a, you know, I'd never eaten apple before running because that's gonna come back and bite me, um, and stuff. So it's a little bit more, um, a little bit more thinking goes into that, I guess. Um, but yeah, go through a lot of bananas. That's for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you find then with your, with your training um, in terms of, I guess, yeah, like you've sort of mentioned with the fruit and veggie intake, um, depending on when your training is, that that then will influence where fruit and veggies may um, come into your day for potentially because if you have too much of them pre-training, particularly pre-heavy training, then that may actually influence what sounds like gut symptoms for you? yeah
0: definitely i'm always going to play it safe if i'm you know if i'm training especially you know first thing in the morning i'm not going to have much more than a piece of toast maybe some porridge or um yeah and as fruity as it's probably going to get is a banana um in that Mm -hmm. space and then but if i was training in the afternoon i'd uh probably i'd happily have like a salad sandwich for lunch or something but um you know that would want to be a good four hours before training i think um and then yeah sort of Definitely going to get more of that in post session. I was actually talking to some of the race walkers the other day. We somehow got onto the conversation of like apples being a no-go pre-training, and one of the boys was like, "Oh, what? No, they're fine." And we were all like, "What is your stomach made of? (laughs) 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 Like, who are you?" Um, But uh, yeah, so there's uh, yeah definitely a few things I'll steer clear of pre-session, especially if it's a a big one you might be a little bit nervous as well you know that's not going to sit too well when you're like oh got enough to worry about without worrying about if I'm going to see my lunch again
2: (laughs) Mm, yeah yeah and it sounds like then perhaps do you find then that the veggies may be then a bit more substantial in the evening compared to like during the day just because of the the um scenario of training is going to be somewhere probably prior to dinner
0: yeah, probably, especially on a session day, um, yeah, on a sort of easier sort of gym day. Like I've, I'm done by lunchtime, so on those days yeah. lunch is usually left over what I've dinner was the night before. So um, that's always going to have a bit more of a substantialness to it, more of a meal than a, like, what, what am I not going to throw up um, sort of uh, approach.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so you've been, I guess, an athlete longer than um, a dietitian. Uh, so did you ever receive education earlier in your career about the role of vitamins minerals antioxidants or polyphenols and the impact and relation that that has on sports performance
0: not a whole lot I think um, probably from like a nutrition education view it was more probably around sort of race day I guess a little bit more from what um, what I was involved in through sort of some junior camps and things like that. And to be honest, a lot of it came from like other athletes' experiences, which I don't think was always the best advice um, on reflection. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and probably a little bit of, I guess, sort of an anti-doping perspective as well in terms of a supplement education, I guess. Um, Yeah, so I think probably the only thing that was really sort of, you know, really hammered on was probably just iron being, you know, um, female distance athletes. That was a, a bit of a hot topic, I guess, um, but probably nothing super specific. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. In, in terms of fruit and veggies, obviously, you know, you talked about how they kind of fit into your day, but also that, you know, sometimes when you're traveling, it's harder to get fruit and veggies into your day uh, for various reasons whether it's the you know hotel buffets and what's available whether it's in some countries where from a food safety point of view you might be worried about you know particularly raw veggies and salads and things like that do you feel like you notice any difference like whether you're eating more fruit and veggies or less fruit and veggies in terms of just how you feel or how you train or anything like that is that something that's sort of noticeable when your diet does change maybe as you're traveling in, in different parts of the world
0: I think sometimes, yeah, especially when you're travelling and you kind of lose track of of things, you know, in that home environment, yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, I just feel a bit, Mm. I don't know, guts don't feel quite right and you're like, oh, actually I probably haven't eaten a piece of fruit for a couple days um, because I've been, you know, on planes and, you know, things like that. Um, Just feel Mm. a bit off but you sort of, yeah, you sometimes take a minute to sort of realise and it's probably not enough for you to be like, oh, my God, something's wrong. But you're like. No, it's like a little yeah. off. Um but yeah, definitely, um, as I've gotten older been a little more clued in probably about like um yeah, and probably just pay better attention and probably realise pretty soon, I think. But yeah, I think sometimes if like dinner the night before, I don't know, maybe you went out somewhere and you sort of had less veggies than you normally would. I think, you know, those days the next morning if I'm doing a, a training session I'm sort of don't really feel like I've uh, digested the dinner as much and it's sort of still a little um yeah it just feels a bit heavier almost and you sort of haven't yeah processed it I guess it's still hanging around all the aftermath yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and I guess it can sort of work both ways can't it? it could be you know the difference of what you're getting or not getting from the veggies but also if you're not having the veggies mm-hmm. you're probably having more of something else and it could be the more of the something else that's more so the issue in terms of having um you know more sort of starchy type foods or more higher fat foods depending on what it is
0: yeah and i think um like we're so just like routine athletes as well and i think like you just notice the smallest difference that mm. it's you're so sort of clued in because you're like mm. oh, how do i feel always you know you're always kind of assessing that <laughs> that you'll pick up things that if you weren't trying mm. to go and run a bunch of 400s at the track you know wouldn't affect your day at all
1: <laughs> mm. yeah. Yep. yeah 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 exactly right okay and then we talked last week with andrea brachis about some of the fruit and veggie supplements as well so where you might be a um like sort of the greens powders where you dehydrate a whole bunch of fruit and veggies and herbs and things and put them into a product or you've got the extracts um things like your beetroot juices your tart cherry juices your new zealand black currant that sort of thing have they been ever things that you've sort of had a play around with or, or tried in your running career
0: Not really, and not definitely not with any sort of purpose. Um, When I was at college, there was a period where there was some cherry juice appearing in the fridges in the training room, um, which we thought kind of tasted good. Um, So there was definitely no uh, purpose behind (laughs) using any of that other than, I guess, a bit of a taste test. Um, But yeah, that was probably, that was like almost 10 years ago now as well, so there probably wasn't a whole lot. Yeah, I don't think there was a lot of... um, education with everything that was maybe provided by the back then very small sports nutrition team they had at college it looks um yep. based on my social media observations it looks like it's uh a bit more established mm-hmm. now it's pretty new when I was there um so it's cool to see yep. um but otherwise I think I've always been pretty supplement adverse I think they really drew in that anti-doping um angle and I'm like ah um yeah and I think some of those sort of like green supplements I know, I'm sure there's great ones out there but i think that sort of space really screams like oh that could have something weird in it um i guess a lot of it sort of i don't know maybe it's the marketing or the packaging or something comes across a little more sort of you know that sort of naturopathy kind of um a bit more obscure vibe i guess i don't know what the right word is but the sort of things that they sort of suggest you stay away from from a you know contamination perspective um, and i guess they have a lot of ingredients <laughs> a lot of the time and you're like okay the more ingredients yeah. the, the more i guess risk there is from that perspective mm-hmm. so not not something i've really explored um but could definitely see it sort of benefit from like a traveling perspective you know if you're sort of going somewhere and you're not sure what you're going to encounter i guess you know that could have a bit of a, a place in something like that maybe um, but i guess it's never going to be quite the same mm-hmm. sort of not, I'm, imagine it's not going to have the same sort of fiber and and things like that that you get i'm not even sure what it would taste like either
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's an interesting one and the anti-doping one is is an interesting one because a lot of those you're right some of those greens products have all sorts of Mm. sort of herbal and almost complementary medicine type ingredients in them it's not just like a bit of broccoli a bit of carrot a bit of kale it's like all sorts of different things in it so uh, it is obviously something that people need to be conscious and aware of because you can have um, you know banned substances that can naturally occur in some of those sort of botanical type ingredients so I guess if, if anyone is looking down that path mm. looking at batch tested products is going to be really important from that perspective. And like
2: you said yeah. the um, um, taste sometimes can be horrendous especially i you know, had the ones at times just taste testing when they've got um, spirulina in it. <laughs> oh, my golly. Terrible. But maybe, again, products, are, you know, yeah. adapt and change. So, you know, I'm sure there's probably some better tasting yeah. ones out there.
1: But I think also isn't that part of the effect, Steph, that if it tastes terrible <laughs> like vegetables, it must I be guess, good for you. It
2: must be good, yeah.
1: <laughs> so it must be more effective. Yeah. Yes. In terms of the, the tart jerry juice that you had over in the States, Lyndon, you, you mentioned that that didn't taste too bad. It wasn't too tart.
0: No, but I kind of, I don't know. I think I kind of like that flavour. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit, um, yeah, I mean, they're only like little bottles. I probably like, I don't know, not a whole lot of it, so you don't get too sick of it. Um but yeah i don't know if i don't think it was to everyone's liking i think there was like a few weirdos like myself that were like oh this tastes good um yep. this was also in i was living in florida so you were always pretty in you know, a pretty dehydrated state post-training so i think sometimes anything that's cold and liquidy tastes pretty good <laughs> in those circumstances
1: yeah 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 fair enough okay um and are you aware of obviously you know not so much yourself but amongst the other athletes you've sort of lived or traveled with um do you see many of them using things like either greens powders or even things like beetroot juice or New Zealand blackcurrant and and products made from those sort of things?
0: Uh, I've seen a couple use some cherry juice, like, in recent years. Um, I remember someone had a bunch sent to some pre-camp somewhere recently. might have been before Tokyo. Um, Honestly, sometimes whatever supplement everyone's going on, it's like whichever company is, um, you know, dishing out free samples and um you know being plugged on instagram the most a little bit um or yep, you know definitely. what's been sort of plugged by you know another athlete or something like that um you know a few suckers who will just kind of jump on i'd like to think i don't know the athletics group as a whole i think come a really long way in the last um couple of years in terms of their sort of just uh i guess nutrition knowledge and i think people have started to to realize there's a lot to gain in that space um, yep. but I think there was a bit of a, a hesitation for a few years my sort of early years on the team I think there was a few more people being a bit more rogue um, whereas I think just in terms of like you know the forms that need to be filled out for any of the supplements you're using I think everyone's a bit more on top of that these days which I think is is good definitely um, yes I haven't seen anything too obscure lately which is good because um, it definitely um, yeah sometimes have been in some positions where I've uh, bitten my tongue and withheld some um, thoughts I may or may not have um but yeah I've been, there was definitely a wave where there was a lot of um a lot of people getting into the beetroot juice um there's a lot of mm. purple vomit as well around that time <laughs> uh, I saw someone try to combine beetroot juice and bicarb um it didn't go well.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a, like a kid's science experiment where you make like the volcano. The volcano? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's, that's pretty much what happened, but it was a human, not a fake volcano made out of paper mache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, um,
1: but I think that's a really important point. And, and as you said, you know, and we talked about this last week as well, there's a lot of a lot of these products get really heavily plugged on Instagram through like affiliate marketing and that sort of thing. And I think it's really good to hear that, you know, amongst that elite athlete community, actually these products are not commonplace and not used by the majority of athletes as I think a lot of people might assume that they are. Um, you know, there's there's those few people, as you said, that are that are doing that kind of affiliate affiliate marketing. And we heard from Emma Jeffcoat, triathlete, um, a while back and she sort of mentioned the fact that, you know, a lot of the athletes that do affiliate marketing don't even use the product themselves. Um, they just have to have the picture to make it look like they're using the product. So um, And then generally the people who are most heavily using it are probably the recreational athletes, um, rather than the, than the elite athletes themselves. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting one. Um, and, and the beach is another interesting one. That's obviously had a big wave, you know, probably five or 10 years ago now. And it kind of feels like that's kind of dropped off a bit. And while Mm -hmm. there's still some people using it, probably not as heavily as it, as it used to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I Don't really feel like I've heard anyone talk about it for a while now.
1: Yep yeah okay um and in terms of uh doping risk i mean you talked about obviously like the greens powders and there's a whole lot of different ingredients in those um are the things like the the black currant tart cherry juice have you heard of any um or have they been ever held up as kind of examples of potential product contamination as well from a doping point of view
2: no
0: i don't not that i've heard of i think again like a lot of them are a bit more single ingredient which is a little safer but yeah um yeah i probably haven't looked into using it enough to sort of worry worry about that i guess yeah um but yeah it probably sounds better than some other <laughs> products that are mm. out there you know like some kind of crazy pre-workout business that you know screams red flags um but yeah it does sound like it should be a better option but, and, um, and i think
1: the products you know often um because they're named after a food rather than you know some sort of biochemical name or something, they they sound a bit better from that perspective too, just in terms of the vibe you get from the product as much as anything.
0: Yeah, definitely. You, yeah, I guess you still want to make sure you're covering all your bases from like a batch testing perspective and yeah, yeah, all of all of that. um Yeah, there's. I don't know if it's sort of on the. I guess there's sort of a list. I think that we've got that you know kind of the recommended based on you know being worth your time I guess from a supplement perspective and then sort of you know different tiers of of what they're sort of gonna support so I think yeah those might sort of sit a bit more in the middle being a bit newer um probably
1: Mm. have there been any others that you've come across you know we talked about the greens the beetroot juice the tart cherry the blackcurrant have there been any other kind of fruit or vegetable based products that have sort of come up on your radar either through social media or you people sending you product samples or mm-hmm. seeing other athletes experimenting around with them. Are there any others that you can think of?
0: Nothing too crazy. I don't think that I can think of. I think like they're probably the ones that I've heard popped up more recently. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely from sort of a more fruit and vegetable type perspective. Yep. Um, do you remember There was a phase, I think this was back in college, there was a couple of people who thought that just smashing about 10 cups of green tea a day was Mm. a thing.
1: Um, Yeah, there was green tea extract and stuff as well. Yeah,
0: but they were just going for the straight tea. Um, I just remember them constantly needing to go to the bathroom, basically. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: oh, I had to get my eight cups of green tea. Mm. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, that's probably the only one that, yeah, you haven't mentioned that I can think of.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and then just to to finish up with, um, I guess you know we talked about earlier uh, there's obviously periods where you're traveling and you're struggling maybe to get as much fruit and veggies in as you would like or as you know compared to what you would normally get. Do you find uh, either yourself or, or other sort of fellow athletes uh, do tend to use more, maybe not these kind of products that we've talked about, but maybe just more a straight up multivitamin in those situations to help cover the fact that maybe you're not getting as much of some of those nutrients uh, as you would when you're Sort of at home, or or you know, based out of an Airbnb or something.
0: Yeah, possibly. Like I know, I always like I'll always travel with um, iron supplements, even though I don't take them year round. But um, you know, maybe if I'm, I guess if I'm at altitude, I'll take iron. Um, or you know, if I know I'm my, I've, you know, traveled with training partners who might not eat red meat, or you know don't eat meat at all and you sort of know you're going to be sort of cooking together and you're like oh okay might might lose out a little bit there and that's been an issue for me in the past so um that's probably the one that i think of the most um i like to think i can get creative enough that i can cover all my bases with with what's available um yeah i think that's probably the yeah what that sort of springs to mind for me yep
2: and um, I guess some people as well like they think, or oh, maybe if I'm not getting enough fruit and veggies in, and just as an athlete, obviously you concerned about your, you know, your immune health and not wanting to get sick. Um, mm. do, do you, if you're not getting the fruit and veg, then do you also um, or take any sort of immune health product or probiotic or prebiotic, or you or you tend to? It sounds like. Um, from what I'm hearing, you are very much that food-first approach and, um, you know, you, you eat pretty well and you're much more comfortable in doing that approach than probably, you know, going towards the supplements and having a pote- potential risk of contamination.
1: Yeah,
0: probably. I think, um, yeah, I think sort of probably having good experience as well, sort of travelling in a lot of the places I'm going to, I've been been to before now at this point of my career, so it's mm. sort of, able to recreate home as much as I possibly can. And, you know, sort of come up with some creative ways sometimes, Um, or just sort of, you know, knowing which supermarkets have pre-prepared meals Mm -hmm. when you don't have a whole kitchen or, you know, things like that. And yeah, yeah, sort of things like that. So you don't get caught out being like, ah, Um, yeah. And probably being older, you know, a bit more pre-prepared and, you know, thinking ahead and thinking about dinner. Mm. earlier in the day rather than waiting till finishing training and being like oh oh okay um yeah i remember once after the first year i went to europe i ended up the only thing i could find was a domino's pizza it was the only place open and i was raining at like racing at, like 12 o'clock the next day and i was mm. like well i've got to eat something
2: yeah.
0: and i remember woke up in the morning i was like i can still taste pizza yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: and i was like oh my god this is i'm gonna throw up pizza yep Halfway through this race, it ended up being a great race actually, but um, <laughs> but I was pretty worried for a while there because that was some pretty terrible planning on my part. So i was, yeah, yeah being cautious to not make that mistake again. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. And do you see that with with other athletes? Like, um, obviously either maybe younger athletes or even athletes your own age. You're like, ah, oh, that's because I'm a dietitian and you're not, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes it's the planning, but sometimes I think it's just the a little bit of. Creativity and I think sometimes athletes will come into a championship and they're like, Oh my god, my plan was to eat exactly this and they don't have this. Mm. Um, whereas I think, um, you know, I'll come into a buffet and be like, Okay, well, I normally have this before my race, but they don't have this, but I'm having this because it's carbs and I need that so I can swap it for this. Whereas sometimes, Yeah, some of the athletes will just be like, you know, we love a plan. Um, And so it's like, oh, my God, freak out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, especially in a race environment, everyone's already pretty stressed. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've definitely um, helped a few athletes out in that part. We're like, ah, what what can I have instead of this? Mm -hmm. Um, And they usually know the answer if you're like, oh, well, why were you having this? Mm -hmm. And, like, they know. They're just like, oh, my God, it was just freak out. Um, Yeah, I often say, like, that's probably the most useful I guess element of i don't know having having studied dietetics and sort of being a traveling athlete is just sort of giving you the ability to calmly adapt mm, yes. um definitely progressed from i think like under 15 cross country when my mom got lost and she had my sandwich and you know i refused anything up before my race i had to have this jam sandwich and i definitely cried um <laughs> So I'd like to think I've come a really long way since then. You're very adaptable. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, i have definitely improved.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, I'll hand over to Steph again and she's going to finish us off with our bonus round.
2: Cool. All right. Um, So this is where our listeners get to learn a little bit more about you, um, Lyndon, Um, apart from Uh, all things running and and the dietetics aspect so if you weren't a runner or a dietitian and you went down a completely different career path what do you think you'd choose
0: well I'm pretty terrible at it but I think definitely something more like I don't know creative or some kind of like I don't know designy type thing I always looks really fun Mm -hmm. um I don't know, I'd probably be terrible at it, but it sounds fun <laughs> if you were good at it. <laughs> In this hypothetical scenario, I'm good at these things, So,
2: <laughs> So is that kind of like interior designing of the house or? Uh, yeah, I
0: don't know. Even like, I don't know, making ads or something yeah. would be kind of cool. I don't know, something, yeah. I don't know, probably more creative, yeah. my creativity skills are probably more limited to things that have quite rigid instructions um, <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, well, so. well, I'd say
1: that's a creative answer mm. because mm. mostly when we ask athletes themselves, they just pick a different sport.
0: Well, I was going to do that, but I thought that was yeah. off limits. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about one of the things on your bucket list that you haven't yet done?
0: Uh, I feel like my big. Let's see. I'm going to go back to sport now. Uh-huh. My um my big bucket list one is I want to run, get to race at like all of the different diamond leagues on the circuit. Yep. Whereas I seem to always go back to the same ones, and I was like, I've been doing this for like seven years now, and I still haven't been to like five of them. because okay. um, obviously your event isn't on at all of them and you know what fits into your schedule mm. and what race you get into so anyway that's kind of like my like career running goal. bucket list goal is to go to all of them so yeah, yeah fingers crossed we can tick a couple off this year a
2: couple new ones off this year <laughs> yeah yep. so
0: got to go chip away at it <laughs>
2: <laughs> um and what about um what about a sport that you've actually always wanted to try um, but perhaps you haven't had the chance, you know, obviously right now because you're focused on your 1,500 metres, um, any obscure sport you, you think you might give a, give a go after?
0: I've never done any, like, snowy, snowy sports like oh. skiing or snowboarding or anything like yeah. that. Um, and, again, I'd probably just fall over. Yeah. But, um and all be scared, I'm not sure, um, but yeah, I feel like that's definitely a post-running thing to try, um, but yeah, I feel like, I don't know, maybe because we just had the Winter Olympics not that long and everyone just looked so cool, yeah. and yeah, we're often in the gym with the winter sport athletes, and I feel like they're much cooler than the athletics athletes, so. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: could get your creative side in that sport too, you know. Yeah, no surely. Game, yeah. <laughs> um and for you your favorite moment from the tokyo olympics um that um wasn't your own event
0: oh this one's easy because i um i was literally talking about this a few days ago um definitely so the uh the last night of competition which was the day after my final race we had the women's high jump with nicola and eleanor yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. jumping and There wasn't many countries that had athletes still there because everyone kind of had to leave quite quickly after you were done because of the COVID restrictions. Mm. But we had quite a handful of athletes still there and because there was no crowd, we had prime position on the fence for the high jump and we had drums and we had signs and it was just a bit... You know it was just this really cool like team moment of you know i was finally done with competition i got to be a spectator and yeah. then obviously the girls did did so well coming second and fifth mm. um which was super fun and we've got this cool like team photo of our whole team and then nicola in the background with the australian flag after she won her medal and like i don't know it's like my favorite photo from the olympics
2: yeah i think that's one of your favorite moments too yeah isn't it or your wife's at least
1: yeah, well, because well, that was her event. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that and the men's high jump, both of them mm. were amazing events. Mm. Um, but I think when we had Katrina Bissett on the podcast, I think that was her favourite moment I as well. I
2: think so too, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and from memory, there was a lot of really bad puns on those signs.
0: Yeah, they were um, – Georgia Griffith was behind those. That was her um, <laughs> her job. Um, you had to submit suggestions by 5 p.m. for printing um, If you if you had any ideas to basically – turn anyone's last name into some kind of pun. And uh, they they probably didn't get better throughout the week, but they were good. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and um, last one, do you live by any piece of advice or, um, or particular motto?
0: Oh, nothing particularly crazy. My little, like, I don't know, my pre-race thing is um, – before races mum always texts me run like the wind bullseye from toy story which is kind of nice because it's a little bit lighthearted, and yeah. you know when you're a bit nervous and i don't know sort of been a thing since i was like 12 or something like that so it's yeah. kind of a bit cute i guess yeah. um not really a life motto but it's a little bit of a pre-race routine yeah. i guess
2: yeah. yeah well that's cool yeah um very cool, very cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. We know you've got a busy schedule and obviously you're off um, overseas competing in a couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, thank you for, for jumping on and giving us some practical Um, advice and I think it's really good um, information to the listeners just to be like um, everything at least everything you see on social media it might seem like all these athletes and elite level athletes are taking these supplements um, but perhaps they're not Um, and to have a bit more of a critical eye on those things understand like why um, or what it may be doing how can it be of benefit and do you really need that? Um, and like you've said, you know, become a bit creative perhaps in times where you're not able to get the fruit and veg. Um, and obviously it depends on everyone's scenario, like you've been fortunate enough where you're travelling or at least made it happen where you can actually influence your environment. Um, so perhaps for some of our listeners, they can take that on board because I know often when they're going to races, they might they just go to a hotel or motel because it's nice and easy. But perhaps mm. for them, they might be better off going to a, um, a little apartment where they can have more control over their um, food intake, at least leading up to the um, competition. Mm.
1: Awesome. Yeah, Thanks so much, Lyndon.
2: Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you very much, Lyndon, and good luck for when you are off um, competing over in Europe. We wish you the best of luck. And now I will take it to our one and only summariser, Alan McCubbin.
1: (laughs) All right. So just a reminder, our question was, can fruit and veggies make me faster? So I guess what we're looking at here is the the potential of the things that you get in fruit and veggies, the various nutrients or what we call sometimes the non-nutrient components as well, to have some sort of positive impact on performance or recovery or, or potentially both. So I guess if we look at across our two episodes, our A episode last week with Andrea Bracchus from the University of Auckland and also this week with Lyndon um with her sort of athlete hat on, I guess both of them sort of emphasise that food-first approach. We're much better off getting um, our vegetables as vegetables rather than trying to get it from supplements or pills or powders or things like that. Um, part of the reason could be that, you know, sometimes you don't get all of those um, nutrient components. Some of them um, may be lost in the processing of those various fruits and vegetables. Uh, but also then things come in as Lyndon highlighted, we, you know, the, the doping or, you know, the contamination risk with supplements as well from an anti-doping perspective is obviously really important, particularly for elite athletes who are more likely to be drug tested. So I guess as a middle distance athlete, but also as a dietitian, Lyndon, I guess, finds it pretty easy to meet her fruit and vegetable needs. Um, doesn't tend to have sort of big phases or periods of training that are the volume is large enough where she's really having to struggle to get in all the veggies and all the carbs. Um, or have you know too much fiber because she's eating this massive volume of food. So for her, it's not too much of an issue because of her training volume is the way it is being a middle distance runner. That could be different though for some of the endurance and ultra endurance runners. And I think we talked about that in the previous episode, Steph, that we both encounter that with clients that we work with sometimes that you know if you're trying to get in a massive amount of carbohydrate and then get in you know enough protein from a recovery point of view and then get in you know five serves of vegetables a day, that's a huge amount of food and it can add up to a large amount of fiber as well. So that can be a little tricky sometimes to, to sort of juggle all of that. Um, obviously, when you're traveling, um you know, the food that you've got access to. And we did a podcast a few weeks ago specifically on this topic, but your access to fruit and veggies may be more variable depending on where you're going and what's on offer. Um, If you're going to countries, for example, where it's not safe to drink the water, then you've got to be careful about salads and things like that. And so that cuts out potential options as well. Um, So there can be times where access to fruit and veggies is uh, a little bit sparse or when you're, you know, airline travel over a few days. Um, And so that's something just to be a bit bit aware of um, and and think about how we can sort of adjust for that uh, or how we can seek out more fruit and veggies in whatever location that we are at the time. Uh, You can look at a multivitamin. Obviously, it's going to target the vitamins and minerals, but it's not necessarily going to provide those non-nutritive components that we talked about in terms of antioxidants, polyphenols, that kind of thing. Uh, For each If we are looking at those supplements for each of those specific fruit or vegetable supplements, obviously, like any other supplement, we need to understand what's in the product. You know, we look at some of those greens powders, for example, and we just kind of assume that it's, you know, kilos of fruit and vegetables all dehydrated and crushed into a powder. Well, there's elements of that, but there's also a whole lot of herbal ingredients and complementary medicine type stuff in a lot of those products as well. And so we just need to be careful about that from a contamination point of view, but also, you know, even some of those complementary medicine. Medicines can even interact with prescription medications, for example. So there's actually a lot to consider there beyond simply t- putting this stuff in your smoothie. And actually, it's it's like having um, vegetables because sometimes it is, but a lot of, a lot of the time it isn't. Uh, and then we look at some of the other products. We talked about tart cherry juice, talked about New Zealand blackcurrant. Didn't touch too much on beetroot juice. We've talked a little bit about that in the past with Andy Jones. But I think with each of these, if we think about what Greg Shaw talked about back in episode 34A around, you know, would I benefit from supplements? He talked about the fact that, you know, we tend to, I guess, view supplements as these magic pills and potions. We just need to know the right dose, the right timing, how many days to take it and bang, I either get a performance benefit or I don't. But I guess his point was that actually, with the exception of something like caffeine, which is more like a um, a pharmaceutical than a a nutrient, all of those other supplements, particularly these fruit and veggie ones, fall into this category. Those non-nutritive components are things that we get in our diet, but depending on who you are and how much fruit and veggies you eat depends on how much of those you get in the diet. And so a supplement in some cases may actually optimize the amount of some of those nutrients, uh, in some cases may still get you nowhere near the optimal amount, and that's going to vary from person to person, um, and obviously depending on the supplement and the dose and the timing and all that kind of thing. But from that perspective, it's not something that you know you have to take exactly three hours before a performance to get the most out of your performance. It's going to be something that builds up over time, just like all the other nutrients that come in from food over time as well. Uh, I guess one of the other things that Andrea really emphasised with a lot of these non-nutritive components is we're still in the very early days from a research point of view. Our understanding of these is very rudimentary and particularly its impact on performance. And because we've had this traditional mindset of, you know, I take a one-off dose of beetroot juice or tart cherry or whatever, and then I study the impact, Well, a lot of people still design their studies that way because it's a really easy study design to do. But really what we probably need to look at is taking these supplements daily for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And that's a much harder study design to do and to control. And surprising, not surprisingly, we have very few of those studies. And so it's very hard to tease out what the effects may or may not be from some of these supplements. So unfortunately, the evidence for them isn't great. And as Lyndon said, They tend to have come and gone as a bit of fads over time. Um, In the elite athlete community, they're not being used widespread. You know, it's not like half the Australian athletics team are all on beetroot juice or all on tart cherry or anything like that. You know, people have dabbled at times. Some have continued, some haven't, but they're not widespread use, as you might believe by looking on social media and a lot of the marketing that goes into some of these products. And finally, I guess if we come back to our question, would more fruit and vegetables make me faster? I think at the moment, we don't have a lot of scientific evidence to be able to confidently answer that question. As Andrew Bracker said, probably yes, because most of us don't get anywhere near meeting the recommended daily intake of fruit and vegetables anyway. Our five serves of veggies, which is half a cup of cooked veggies in a serve or a cup of salad veggies. So five of those in a day and two serves of fruit. So an apple or a banana or about that amount from other fruits, um, two of those a day as well. So most athletes aren't getting anywhere near that. If we can get closer towards that, whether that's by just eating more of those foods, including bigger portions at dinner, uh, if it's appropriate to do that, or in some cases, if we're struggling to get it in, could even potentially go into smoothies and things if that's part of your your diet anyway. Um, But yeah, so would we benefit from more fruit and veggies? Yes. Are we absolutely confident scientifically? No but it's certainly not going to hurt uh, and it would certainly probably help us from an overall health perspective as well.
2: Good one. Good summary. Um, Cool. So now we are looking at our next episode, which is 39A. Um, This is an episode we've been looking forward to for a while now. We've got a very... um, a uh, very well-known guest in the sports nutrition world um i'll let you introduce the topic
1: yeah so new topic next week episode 39a our question and one we've been wanting to look at specifically for quite a while now is how much carb should i be having during training and racing so we've talked about i guess the pre-exercise component to this before in terms of the carb learning in terms of whether we have you know Fasted training or, or fuel up for training but we haven't looked specifically at you know how many grams of hours of carbs should I have during training or during a race whether that differs depending on if I'm an elite or recreational athlete whether it differs depending on the training session or the duration of the race or whether I'm running versus cycling so we're going to look at all of those questions and, and have a really deep dive into this question it's a very common one I think for a lot of people uh, and we're very lucky to have Professor Asker Yerkendrup who is a uh, visiting professor at Loughborough University, um, but formerly a lot of people would know him as a professor at the University of Birmingham for uh, over a, well over a decade. Um, but he's also the nutrition lead for Team Jumbo-Visma, the pro cycling team, who obviously heading off to the Tour de France with Primoz Roglic in a few weeks, trying to win that race. Um, he also works for the Dutch Olympic Committee and their Olympic team, and was over in Tokyo with the Dutch team last year. And he also works as the head of um, performance nutrition for the Red Bull Athlete Performance Centre. So a lot of the Red Bull-sponsored athletes um, will go through there as well. And so he's got some involvement there, and he has a whole bunch of other projects on the side that we're going to talk about next week. So, uh, yeah, really excited. I think Asker is one of those guys whose research both got us really into sports nutrition and particularly in this area of endurance sports nutrition when we were very early in our career, Steph. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to have Asker on the podcast and to hit him with a whole bunch of questions around this topic, which he did a lot of the, um, the seminal research in.
2: Yeah, yep. Um, excellent. Uh, and we just want to remind people to contact us via the, at the Long Munch, I should say, um all, on all your popular social media platforms Twitter Facebook and Instagram please keep giving us questions um we really do enjoy answering them and um and thinking about who we get to talk to as well that's um really nice experience for us too and you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms and otherwise, we will love and leave you until next time for the very exciting next episode with we
1: Will do. See everyone then.